There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. I'm Bonnie Jill Laughlin on the Weekly Pass, joined with my co-host, Adam Copeland. Now, someone that we need to speak to. We were trying to get to him, Copes, last week or the week before, but everything's going on. We weren't able to. But Rick Barry, NBA Rookie of the Year, eight-time NBA All-Star. And, of course, the 1975, when the Warriors won their first NBA championship, where Rick was the NBA Finals MVP. And he's got a birthday coming up. Trying to bring some positivity to this. Rick, how you doing? Well, I'm doing great, but you know it's always interesting how people bring up I was the rookie of the year. But you know the rookie of the year was really nice. I was certainly proud of that. But what I was most proud of is actually as a rookie coming to the league, I actually made first team All Pro, which is a little bit more prestigious. Yeah, I, agree. I, I think it's but, more prestigious so, too. You, you have so much. It's so much, Rick. I'm just pulling some things out of there because you, I can go on no, and on no, and on about okay. you. No, no, but no. It's interesting how people bring that up because I was the rookie of the year, but they overlook the fact because to me, I mean. Hey, I was excited to be able to be rookie of the year, and then all of a sudden, I still have the plaque hanging in one of my homes, where it's a plaque from Sporting News, and it's got the first team All Pro in my rookie year. And I'm on there with Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson. I'm going like, wow. I got to pinch myself. Is this for real? I mean, these are my heroes. That's a hell of a, an All First Team. Do they now? I remember like when Jackie Robinson won the first ever Rookie of the Year in baseball. They gave him a car. Did you get a car or some special gift out of it? <laughs> No, I didn't get anything. In fact, actually, when I got the most valuable player of the All-Star of the uh, championship series, they used to give out, and Chevrolet was the sponsor, and they gave a Corvette. Well, the year that I won, they switched sponsors, and they had AMC, and I got a Pacer. Oh, God. <laughs> wasn't it, well, at least it wasn't an AMC Gremlin or something, right? No, it looked more like a fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. So uh, I say timing is everything in life, you know. <laughs> yeah. It worked out for you. Now, Rick, I just yeah, got to ask fine. you, how is this affecting your family? How are you doing? And you know, how are you spending your time with no sports? Because we're going crazy. Uh, well, I mean, I just, I love to watch a lot of shows that I watch. I've been binging my one son, tried to get me to get on, uh, you know, one of the TV shows that he had watched and also Breaking Bad, which I started to watch and didn't watch it. And then I got into it. So now I'm binging on that. You've got tons of movies. And, you know, my wife is mad all the time at me when she can be, are you still watching that show? And, uh, and so, but no, I, but I mean, it's great down where I am here. I spend the winters in Florida and we've got you know, great neighbors who are down here and I play pickleball, you know, three, you know, at least I try to play, you know, three, four times a week if I can and go for a bike ride. Occasionally they like, they shut down the, the workout facility and they close the pool and the whirlpool, which I don't understand that since you're outside and you're not really going to have to be next to anybody. I don't know why they would deprive you of those, but you know, like anything in life, you can take things to extreme. Not that there isn't something that's critical to going on here and you should be very, very, uh, I think conservative in what you're doing and, and be concerned about trying to pass things on. You don't even know if you might be infected, but the thing is, is that keep the distance don't go out and get into crowds, but don't deprive people and like putting me in solitary confinement. If they were to close down the pickleball courts, then I'd really go nuts because so this way I get a great workout in. It's fun. You're outdoors. You're not standing. You're away from people anyway playing pickleball. You have four people and you're spread out on the court. 
And anyway, I just think you should be allowed to do certain things. And I think that they're trying to do the best they can under some very difficult circumstances. But it's so sad that because of this virus, which there have been more things going on in the past that we never heard about. And even now, more people are dying just from the flu than they are from this. And yet this is getting all the headlines. So it's an unfortunate situation. But, hey, in life, like God rest his soul, I knew him, Kenny Rogers, who just passed away. Yeah, you know, I loved him. You got to know when to hold them, when to fold them. You got to yeah. play the cards you're dealt. I mean, so that's what you do. You make the most of it. You know what? The, the interesting tie here is that, and I'll include myself in this, it seems to me that the ball really got rolling with people buying into this or believing this or taking it seriously globally, or at least in the United States, once Adam Silver said, hey, we're putting the NBA season on hold, yeah. would you share that sentiment that that's kind of when everybody was like, hey, everything is now shutting down? Once a professional league says we're not going to play our games, people started taking it more seriously? Yeah, I, there's no question about that. When things of that significance take place, uh, you realize that, hey, this is something that we have to be concerned about. And I think the biggest reason for wanting to try to get things under control is you know to level the curve as they say is that because the hospitals in some places are getting overrun people are always so concerned about it it's actually been kind of a double-edged sword people are so concerned about it people are going and have no business even going to the hospital in fact that's the worst place you probably want to go if you have something you know you got to find out whether or not you really have the disease or not and you're going in and putting yourself in a situation where you could conceivably get infected going into a hospital and so it's overwhelming the facilities that we have and that's the problem they're trying to avoid that and they're doing the best job that they possibly can under some adverse situations, and some places are worse than others. I mean, I've seen lines in New York or Costco. I mean, it was ridiculous. People outside freezing, waiting forever. My son, yesterday, my son Scooter lives in the Bay Area and uh, in San Francisco, and he said he went to go to Safeway, and it was a two-hour wait to try to oh, even get wow. into it. And the lines go through. Yeah, I mean, it was it's crazy. I mean, it's it's. I don't understand. There's enough stuff there, there that is. people go overboard, mm-hmm. like buying all this toilet paper. What the heck is that? I mean, we have we have a neighbor here who bought us so much toilet paper. I mean, if she can have toilet paper for the rest of her life, possibly. I mean, I don't understand what they're doing. And then they're buying the Kleenex. I guess they figure they could use that for toilet paper if that works out. <laughs> because the bottom line is you don't need Kleenex because this, this, this virus dries you out. Your nose doesn't run. You dry up. That's the problem with it. So anyway, I, I know that I've, I've yet to go into a store yet to find out where I've gone into Walmarts and other places and there, there's no toilet paper and there's no Kleenex and went to go and get some other place and all the meat and the stuff was all gone. I mean, I don't understand why people go to extremes and all they do is they make it a pro- more of a problem mm-hmm. for a lot of other people. Yeah, I'm with you, Rick. Well, with all that being said, I mean, what are your thoughts on when the NBA will return? We're hearing possibly summer. Maybe the NBA finals would be in September. What do you think um, right now? Well, I think now because, well, because of the Olympics. The Olympics decided to postpone. So that, that changes everything and yeah. makes it a lot easier for the NBA because I was saying, well, if the Olympics were going to go on, to have the NBA having their finals and playoffs going on during the Olympics would not be a great idea. And so now they have the luxury of being able to do that. If everything gets straightened out in the next few months, they can go and start the season up again in June, finish things up and go, you know, just have their, their championship in the playoffs, you know, during the summer months, because it's not going to impact the Olympics. So that problem, I'm sure Adam Silver was very happy to see that the IOC decided to do that because it gives them much more latitude as to how they're going to respond. The Major League Baseball season is really the one that's in jeopardy of because they're on like a, a weather clock, right? I mean, you can't play baseball into December and January. It just doesn't make any sense. So they're the one that are, that are really on a clock. 
the NBA could decide if they wanted to use this to their advantage and, and try to restructure a schedule, maybe start the next season at Christmas or something like that, the way they did uh, in, in the year that there was the lockout a few years back. Do you think they'll take this opportunity to do that, to change the, the maybe the number of games or change the amount of break time in between games? What do you think about the restructuring, not of, of necessarily this season, but where the NBA goes because of this season's hiatus? Yeah, well, they've had a lot of discussions about that in the past as far as uh, cutting back on the season, starting it a little bit later. And certainly now, if they wind up having to play in July and August, they they may very well decide to do that. It's a great opportunity for them to do it. As far as baseball is concerned, uh, you're absolutely right. They, They can't just keep continuing to go on because of the weather factor. So they may very well have to play a shortened season if they're going to try to get it in. Now, Rick, we watched actually the game four of the 1975 finals, NBA finals. And, you know, going through that, I mean, I was watching these games and, and seeing how adults defend you and, you know, Reardon came flying across your back and, you know, kind of reminisce that, that game. And what, uh, what, what does it bring you back to when I mentioned that? Well, it's always going to be one of the fondest memories of my life and to be able to pull off the greatest upset in the history of the NBA Finals, bar none. I mean, there isn't anything that even compares to that. There was supposed to be the biggest mismatch in the history of the NBA Finals, no contest. We were supposed to get swept, and we swept the team that was supposed to sweep us. So it was very sweet, uh, trust me on that. But the game four, I mean, first of all, they were overconfident. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they were willing. They were willing because of a conf- conflicting situation, because nobody expected us to be in the playoffs. They had Yoko Alameda Kali Coliseum, as it was called then, that was uh, booked for the ice capades. So, yes, you know, I, I think, remember that. I think the story, yeah, some people say it was the circus, but no, it wasn't. It was actually the ice capades. <laughs> and so they decided to go over and play. At the, uh, we're going to play at the Cow Palace. And so the dates were different. So they said to Washa, here's the deal. You can take and play two at home and go back there and play three and then come back here, whatever. Or you can go one at home and then go back, play two there, then come back home. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they were so confident that they were going to win the first game. They decided to only have one game at home before they came out to our place. And obviously we knocked them off game from behind and had a great victory. Then we come back and we beat them in game two. And then we beat them in game three. And now they're going home with the chance of possibly getting swept. So, I mean, it was, they were just so overconfident. There's no way in the world they thought they were going to lose the series. And I knew in game four at the tip, I knew what was happening. They threw the ball up and Mike Reardon blasted me with an elbow on the jump ball. And so I said, Mike, you know, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. I'm not going to get in a fight. I didn't say this to him, but I'm thinking, I'm not going to get into a fight with you so that you get thrown out and I get thrown out because you're no big loss to the team at that point. (laughs) You weren't one of the principal factors. Yeah, Rick, he had two fouls. It was was one minute into the game. He already had two fouls. (laughs) Well, no, he he was was crazy. He was just beating on me the whole game. And then then he finally had a fresh night, tried to jumped over my back on one of the things yeah. you could see this video i kind of ran away and stay away there's no way i was getting involved and al came out to make sure i didn't and then of course richie powers tossed him mm-hmm. tossed him out of the out of the game and then joe roberts our assistant coach did a great job of taking control of the team and we were able to you know, come back and wind up winning winning that game and winning the championship but it, it was a ploy i knew I, when they did that i knew they were desperate they were so desperate yeah. that they wanted to get me thrown out of the game. They didn't want. They didn't think just going out and playing and beating us and trying to beat us at home 
they were trying to get me out of the game. So I, I, I felt very confident that we had a good opportunity to beat these guys because they were not in a good state of mind. It, it was almost like LeBron James with Draymond Green took a page out of Mike Reardon's book, right? Like it, it was like, <laughs> we're going to try to get you ejected so that we can come out and win the game. And, and it's crazy that you understood that and knew that. And it was obvious in just watching this replay, the, the complete games available, by the way, on YouTube. We watched, we it, all watched it in yeah. its entirety. Oscar Robertson's on the call. It's pretty funny. And by the way, he's just fired up every time a, a, a shot goes up and is made. Oscar just loses his mind <laughs> on the broadcast. Yeah. Well, but how did uh, you like the gra- how did you like the graphics on that? One? You, know, yeah. you know what? You but know there what? was no score sometimes. That's what that, that was me. hard for me to watch. Like I couldn't ever see what the score and how much oh, time was, was left. There was a game clock, yeah, was, but we've, yeah, we've come such a long way. Yeah. Since then. But it's interesting you brought up the, the, the LeBron James thing. See, in this case, I mean, at least the whistle blew when Randall came over my back. Right. Yeah. What happened is there. What happened in that is the, the official swallowed their whistle on the on that Draymond Green LeBron James play. LeBron James should have been called for a flagrant foul. What he did to to what he what he did to him. When he threw him down to the court, that was a flagrant foul. And the whistle should have blown. And had that happened, the next incident wouldn't probably have taken place for for, for after. And then he steps over him, which is like, you know, and that's when I guess that's when Draymond went off. And then he winds up responding in a way that gets him suspended, which I think was ridiculous to suspend him anyway. And that cost them the championship. There's no doubt in my mind that, and the fact that they just kept shooting three point shots in the last four minutes yeah. and forty seconds of the of the final game, number seven, when they just killed themselves. They say you live with the three and die with the three. Well, they died with the three. And why they didn't go to the basket and just try to put some points on the board and rely on the three point shot, I don't understand. But it was probably it was probably the worst four minutes and forty seconds of a game seven in an NBA Finals in the history of the league because one basket was scored. And that was a three-point shot by Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. and one free throw by LeBron James. That was the only scoring that took place in the last four minutes and 40 seconds. It was pathetic. And uh, But anyway, but that's a situation where officials do have, they always say, oh, we, we don't want the officials to determine the outcome of the game. And I'm saying, well, what are you talking about? I said, if the official blows his whistle because a violation took place, it's not the official determining the outcome of the game. It's the player who committed the violation. You got to do so your job. Yeah. Get, well, the officials almost get to the point where they they don't want to blow their whistle because they don't want to say, "Well, I'm determining the outcome of the game." You're not. You're just doing your job. If a guy commits a violation, like sometimes in a close game, how many times do you see this? Two players collide in the basket, going to the basket, and doing stuff. They both hit the court, and the whistle doesn't blow. I'm sorry. It's either a block or a charge. Oh, Rick. Oh, thank you, thank you. This is something <laughs> I get so upset about all the time. By the definition of the rule, either one guy's moving or he's not. And if one guy's not, then it's a charge. If one guy mm-hmm. is, then it's a block. Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah. Well, it doesn't even have to be moving. It's a matter yeah. of when he got there. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the space. Guy's yeah. In the, if the guy's in his motion, ready to go, it's. And this is one of the things I've talked about for years, and the NBA doesn't listen to me, and I've talked to officials. I said it is so simple. That's one of the easiest calls to make, really, if you analyze it and look at it and evaluate it. As a player, I can tell you, the moment that I pick my dribble up, I pick my dribble up, why? Because I saw a clear pass to go to the basket, and I'm going to go to make my shot and, and lay the ball in. Well, if the defender moves, not after I've left the floor, and if he moves the moment I pick my dribble up because I planted my other foot, my, and now that's my pivot foot, and I'm going to take off, well, I'm entitled to that spot because nobody's there and I can't stop my forward momentum. It's physically impossible for me to stop my forward momentum. So that means I'm entitled to go to that spot. And if there's any movement by a defender to get into that area, that's a block. It's very simple. and It's very visual, but they don't buy into it. You watch how many times. This is a great lesson for you people listening. Watch a game that well, if we ever have a game again. Watch the game <laughs> and take a look and you'll be able to see this. Ball picked up by the offensive player. Movement by the defender, block. 
no movement by the defender, charge. Yeah. So, so you said you've talked to the NBA and officials about this. How much does the NBA discuss this with former players or current players about how a rule is called? Yeah, we hear that sometimes at the beginning of a season that they're focusing more on on this type of play or uh, you know a clear path foul, whatever that whatever the call is. How much do they bring in former and current players to discuss this stuff? Well, they never brought me in, and they don't listen to me, and they haven't listened to me for decades. And I've had some good suggestions for them, just the same way, like the big discussion here. Just so, my, why who used to come on my show when I did my show for KBR? Skip Bayless. Yeah, yeah. So I used to have him on all the time, and he's doing his other show. He's just so oh, well. LeBron has just got himself the fifth MVP in doing it. First of all, the most ludicrous thing that happens in the NBA, as far as awards go, is to have an MVP for an unbalanced season. How could you possibly have an MVP for an entire league when you don't play the same schedule? It, and I've told them, and from a standpoint, I would, as the commissioner, I would have changed it years ago. Why? Because I get another sponsor for the MVP of the Eastern Conference and the MVP of the Western yeah. Conference. So I have two sponsors. I get mm-hmm. more money, and it's more fair because they're playing a balanced schedule, and then you have your MVP of the finals. You don't have an MVP of the entire season when you have an unbalanced schedule. No other league does it. Well, Rick Barry for commissioner. I know. Right? I, I, mean, I agree with everything. I know. I agree with everything. <laughs> no, nothing, said. Yeah, nothing yeah. to dispute here. And that, yeah. and that you're absolutely right. And that you play every. What do you play? Every team one time or at, at your place well, and once at theirs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, twice. You play yeah. once on the road and once at home. Yeah. And so how you? And then so you're telling me that that LeBron who plays in the company, he'd be the MVP of the Western Conference. You no, know, no question yeah. about it. And it's going to be Giannis in the Eastern Conference. And the same thing with All Star games. Now forget that because it's not even a game anymore. It's the All Star exhibition. Who right, cares right. who the hell the MVP is? Because it's a joke. So, but back in the days when they had that, when you actually have a, a real true competition, you were going to pick an MVP. I always said this: you always have two awards: an MVP, the most valuable player, and an MOP, the most outstanding yeah, player. I like it. Sometimes it could be both of them. Sometimes it wouldn't. I would say that when I won the MVP in the '67 at the Cow Palace that Nate Thurman should have been the MVP of our team, and I would have been the most outstanding player at 38 points in the game. But Nate was more valuable. He went up against the front line of Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Jerry Lucas. And he had Nate Thurman. I think it was Nate Thurman, Dave DeBusher, and myself, and Elgin Baylor. In other words, the size difference was just enormous. And Nate had a great game. He had almost 20 rebounds and double figures and points and all. He just helped to, to negate those guys. And he should have been our MVP. And so, I mean, and you could always usually find that. I remember one time, I, Walt Frazier got MVP in the game down in Phoenix. I think that if he got MVP, then I think I might have gotten most outstanding player. My stats and the stuff I did were way better than his. But he was on the winning team. I was on the losing team. So, uh, I mean, it, it would be more fun. You get more sponsorship stuff. Why not? Now, Rick, a couple more minutes with you, but I want to go back to your career because I've always wanted to ask you, at what point in your career did you start shooting free throws underhand? I mean, you still, I mean, it's funny, 50 years later, and here you are, you're still at the top of the NBA free throw percentage. And I remember when I was working for the Lakers, Jerry Buss was like looking at Shaq and, you know, he couldn't hit a free throw to save his life. I remember him turning to me and goes, I don't know why he doesn't just shoot underhand like Rick Barry. Um, were there other guys, you know, along the way that you tried to get to shoot underhand? Well, I, 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 I don't. It's even before my junior or senior year in high school. I, someday I got to go see if they have records back there and find out. Look at my shooting percentages from high school and find out. I could tell you because the first time I was in the '80s is that's when it happened before that season. But it was either junior or senior year. Uh, I did try to work with Shaq when he was down there to get him to do it. He said, "Rick, I'm a hip hop kind of guy. It'd be bad for my image." And I said, "Well, what do you, I wanted to say, but he's too big to say. Well, what do you think your image is now? Everybody thinks you're a joke." <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, he he never did it. I I only worked I worked with one other player whose name I won't mention who actually came and worked with me in Colorado Springs. And actually, my younger son who was doing stuff was there helping. I actually had him shooting eighty percent or better. 
and he just never had the nerve to do it when he went back to his team, and he never did switch over to the underhanded free throw. The only person that ever did it was George Johnson, my teammate, who was not a very good free throw shooter. Uh, you know, I think I don't know if he was in the high forties, fifties, whatever it may have been. But George actually got up and shot eighty percent one season shooting underhanded. And if Shaq had decided to go underhanded and got up to eighty percent, he would have won more championships because at the end of the game, the game would never be in doubt. All you do is throw it to him in the post, mm-hmm. and the game is over. Because if you foul him, he's going to go up to the free throw line and make his free throws. It's not going to be an advantage for you. You know, it would have been over. And he decided not to do it. I don't understand people's egos and why they let. What difference does it make how you do it? Right. The whole idea is, is to make done. the highest percentage. If you could stand there and throw it over your head with one hand and your eyes closed, you can make the highest percentage, and that's the way you should do it. Yeah, I'd do it that way if I could make free throws. They put me in the league for it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd well, sit up there and do it. to get him. See, another one they have listened to me. I, I've been trying to tell them for decades the same thing. I said, listen, why don't we put the designated free throw shooter rule in the game? And then at the end of the quarter, you have your designated free throw shooter who goes up and he shoots the free throws to be able to see if they, you know. <laughs> so would you, would you, would you, if you were going to do that, just now, now we're spitballing, now we're having fun with it. Would you, would you tally the number of would be free throws throughout the quarter? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if I go up and the number of fouls that are over there, I get up and go over and go and shoot the free throws after the quarter's over. And then, you know, I'm only doing it facetiously. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. How, how would you feel about a game ending that way, where clock ends and you're down six, but the guy gets to shoot eight free throws? Free throw line and go. He would be a, he, well. It'd be like the field goal kicker for God's sake. Yeah, football, right? yeah, it's exactly I mean, right. How many how many football games come down to the field goal kicker? Every a one very of them. high percentage. Yeah, every one of them. Right? Yeah, a very high percentage. And so you know, the thing you could do with the free throws and everything. You know, heck, I'm, a, I'm still in good enough shape in my advanced age that I could. Even even get out there and have to stay in the game until the first dead ball. Bring him, bring him back. Yeah, bring him back. <laughs> highest free throw percentage of all time. Bring him yeah. back. No, no, I, I'm not the highest one. I actually You're up would there. Have You're up highest. there. You're, I looked. Well, I'm up there, but the thing is, is that my last six years, I switched my technique, and my last six years, I shot over 92%, which would be the highest of all time, and my last two years, I shot over 94%. In fact, three years ago, I think it was Andre Drummond from the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Missed 23 free throws in one game. That's more than I missed in my entire last two seasons. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking here. Uh, yeah, for a nine nine forty seven was the percentage in your second to last year. I got you nine thirty five rounded up to that ninety four percent in uh, right. in your last. But you led the league in in was it five of your last six yeah, a years? Bunch of times, yeah. yeah. I, I, the thing is, is that I got better. I was a better free throw shooter at the end of my career than I was at any time. So I mean, you can you can definitely improve, and it's just it's. And it's proven. I mean, all they had the physicists and all these people have gone and done testing and stuff. They did a thing on ESPN uh, when they had that sports yeah. thing. Whatever sports science. Is, is. Yeah, I remember sports that. Sports, science, yeah. yeah, sports science. And we did something on it. And it's proven that it's the least amount of movement. It's the most efficient way. It's the best way to do it. And yet t- people don't want to do it. Why? I mean, it makes no logical sense whatsoever. Anyway. Well, Rick Barry for NBA But I got one kid doing it. My <laughs> youngest son, Ken. My youngest son, Ken, is doing it. He's made, he's, he was shooting 90% when he was over in China. And he's an 85 to 90% free throw shooter. And uh, we'll see what happens. And I'm, I'm just hoping that he gets to do He's got a chance to be on the Olympic team. He was on the World Championship 3x3 team for USA Basketball. It's the first only time they had. It's the first time they won a gold medal in 3x3. So that was a proud moment for him last year in Amsterdam. And he's on the qualifying team. But they postponed that tournament. Yeah. And now they're postponing the Olympics. But I'm hoping that they get to qualify and my son will have a chance to be an Olympian. That's the one thing in my life that I was my biggest disappointment is that I didn't make the Olympic team. And I thought I had did well, done well in the trials and didn't make it back in 64. And, and so I'm glad that my son's having a chance because I know that one time I played an exhibition game against the Soviet Union at USA in my chest in Indianapolis 
And I can tell you that it was the most emotion I ever felt standing there hearing the national anthem. I can't even imagine what it'd be like if I was in the Olympics with a gold medal around my neck with USA on my chest and heard that. Well, it's always good stuff from you, Rick. Learn so much. And I got to tell you before we let you go that, you know, I was three months old when my parents left me with some random babysitter to go to game one and two to go see you play at the Cal Palace. <laughs> my, my dad wanted to remind me. He's like, we left you. You were three months old and we left you. We had to go to those uh, games. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, that's, I hope everybody will check me out. We do good luck with your podcast. The Warriors 24 is mine. You can check it out. Apple, go to Apple iPod, obviously, and find a Warriors 24. I do it with one of my former producers from KNBR, Cyrus Satchez, who's an award-winning yes. uh, journalist. So, uh, so we have fun doing it. And unfortunately, it's been a tough year to be talking about the Warriors, but we talk a lot more than just that. Well, thanks so much, Rick, and you and your family stay safe, okay? Well, the same to everybody out there, you know, please, uh, you know, do the things that you need to do to keep uh, keep yourself safe and to hopefully keep everybody else safe. Let's get back to normalcy here because it's just absolutely crazy what's going on now. It is. Thanks, Rick. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Always good stuff from Rick Barry. You know, he's never for a loss for words, right? Oh, never. Oh. And he's animated. He's got ideas. The oh. funny thing is I he, like his ideas, though, well, he's he, talking about. The funny about thing is he gets stuff. so serious about stuff that, like, even at the end when he's talking about the designated free throw shooter, and I was like, yeah, this is a fun thing to poke Why around. If you, could, if you could add a rule to <laughs> could any game. Could you imagine adding that? A designated, wow. I would say, okay, if you're going to do it, first of all, I'm a guy who, like, vehemently hates the designated hitter in baseball. I do, too. That's why I don't like the American League. If you are a designated free throw shooter within a game, you should be, like, you should have to play a minimum number of minutes or you something because yeah, my cause... deal with the designated hitter in baseball is like just for example and i know i'm off on a tangent here will clark borderline hall of famer mm-hmm. maybe if you put his numbers up against edgar martinez yeah. who is a dh and is in mm-hmm. the hall of fame now the guy didn't even bring never, a, never had to play any defense he didn't bring a damn glove <laughs> to the field and we exactly. put him in the hall like make that guy play and some long defense to sit on the benches wait around i mean it's like come on they're making tons of money it's, it's about striking out and then having to figure out how to go field your position mm-hmm. and then come back up and yeah. still get success and next time when guys are end of their career i'm like oh, i'll just go dh somewhere in the you know, american yeah, forget league that, I mean, come dude. on it's easier yeah, to I'm just go ahead. Anyway, I'm that with you. That was funny, though, if you did have that. And well, you, couldn't, end on a free you couldn't do it in the fourth <laughs> quarter. You'd have to be like, okay, not in the fourth. In the fourth, you shoot your own. Yeah. that'd be Actually, that would be it. How about that for the yeah. game of basketball? Remember the NBA All-Star, they changed it. Didn't it end on a free throw? Uh, yeah, because they had to yeah. well, remember. Yeah, well, Anthony yeah. Davis, remember, he missed the free throw. That's it. He missed the first one. And well, then he claims he, was like, he missed right. it to put a little pressure yeah. on it. Okay, and okay. I didn't like it ending on, <laughs> yeah, on the free No, throw. it was so lame. anticlimactic. It was, it was like, lame. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it worked out. But was, Rick Barry, a lot of fun. Always good. You know, it's good also to kind of hear people's different, um, you know, perspective where they're where they're at. He's in Florida. You know, everyone's dealing with it differently. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know? globally. But it's nothing to be. You know, it's it's pretty serious out there. You know, yeah. so so we'll keep we'll keep doing the podcast yes. when when it when it's feasible for us to do them. But uh, yeah, that's why we haven't everyone. So they know we haven't done this for a couple weeks because we weren't sure you know when we could do it and get the studio and it's all tough that. To get so. us together right now too, because we're both uh, you're working remotely. And yeah. we're trying to get in together to get these done. So we'll try to keep putting them out, but we'll we'll mix and match as we uh, as we do them. So thanks for hanging with us. Yeah, thanks. And we'll be back on the weekly pass. I'm Bonnie Jalaflin. I'm Adam Copeland. See ya.